You're listening to the Remember the Maples Hockey Podcast in partnership with the Black and Gold Productions Sports Media Company and part of the Black and Gold Productions Podcast Network. This show is dedicated to preserve the rich history of the Amesbury Maples ice hockey team originally founded in 1924 and was known as one of the best amateur semi-pro clubs in the United States. Please support the show by following our social media accounts on Facebook by searching Remember the Amesbury Maples page, on Twitter, at Amesbury Maples, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Remember the Amesbury Maples. If you're a former player or family member willing to be a guest, please send an email to blackandgoldproductionsllc at gmail.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome to the Remember the Maples Hockey Podcast. This is episode three um, and it's been a while. It's been about 11 months since I've done one of these. Uh, the uh, The Boston Bruins hockey season is over, so is the Providence Bruins season is over. So now it's uh, it's time to do some summer stuff, some off-season hockey stuff. And it's a great time to start talking about the Amesbury Maples because um, it, it is coming on 2024, which means it would be with the 100th year anniversary of the uh, organization. And um, without further ado, I do want to talk to my friend Frank Gerzak over here, and he's joined the uh, the project as a video expert and, and and a master of research. And we're both crunching down on old newspapers and getting some information together about the Amesbury Maples and uh, as we prepare for the 100th year anniversary. Uh, Frank, thank you very much for joining the project and, and, and joining us tonight on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, my pleasure, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, looking forward to this. Absolutely. We do have a very special guest. It's a former Amesbury resident, and he is in the southwestern part of the United States right now. And his name is Mr. Randy Picard. Welcome to the uh, Remember the Maples Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much for your time tonight, sir. I'm happy to be with you. Excellent. Excellent. Um, uh, I do want to um, start off it, uh, on kind of a sad note, and it's a tough one for us as, uh, you know, for you guys, as as you know, and uh, also, you know, Amesbury residents, um, you know, might have known him as well. But uh, unfortunate news this morning that Doug Gleason, a former uh, standout for Amesbury High School Hockey and the Amesbury Maples, passed away this morning. Um, I, I didn't know Doug personally. I mean, I knew some of his kids growing up and so on, but, um, I just want to take a minute to reflect on his life and, and, uh, I'd like to, uh, Randy, why don't you start and talk about, uh, Doug and your experience with him, um, you know, growing up together and, and playing hockey together. Well, uh, Dougie was a lot younger than I was. His older brother, Jimmy was a year behind me in high school. So, we played all the way up through Pee Wee's to high school together and, and had a, uh, knew each other very, very well. Dougie was, uh, boy, I don't even know how many years younger. He probably six or seven years. I don't know if you have that information, Frankie, or not. But but uh, Dougie was always a good hockey player coming up as, as a young boy. I mean, he went through the, the uh, Pee Wee hockey in Amesbury, obviously. Uh, I think he was uh, known uh, for a lot of times for having a – he was a goal scorer, no doubt about it, played up on the forward line. And I think that uh, the era that Dougie played in was a big one for, for Amesbury hockey in general and for Amesbury High School because uh, there were a lot of good players in that era. They, they were not in the uh, Northeastern Conference anymore, which was the high school conference we played in, which was a lot of Boston teams and uh, uh, much different than when they started, I think, the KPN leagues and the more hockey became popular around Amesbury. 
But uh, it was a good group of kids. I mean, there's a lot of them that I stay in contact with. I mean, from the George Dodier and the Jack Morrells and my, my sister's age group, Tammy, who a lot of you may know of, who still lives there in Amesbury. Um, uh, the Lucia families. I mean, there was it was all the Gleasons, the Fornias. And uh, that era put together a pretty good uh, string. I think Duke was the coach most of those years. He got them to some state hockey tournaments. Uh, they had a lot of success. And, and success is, is really nice when you're playing the game. When you have a winning team or a winning organization and you, you're you up there in the standings every year and you got a lot of pride in what you do, it, uh, it urges you on to, to want to be better. And that group of hockey players, uh, there was a lot of them and uh, there were a lot of good ones too, yeah. A lot younger than I am, but uh, a lot of good kids and a, good, a lot of good hockey players. I'm, I'm very sad to see him go. But he made his mark. He, he was uh, He's in the record books, that's for sure. Absolutely. Frank, what are your thoughts on um, on, on Doug Gleason and, and memories that you might want to share? Well, I, I did. I just knew uh, Dougie in passing in terms of uh, just being uh, someone in the local community. And as, as much as Randy said, in terms of uh, his hockey career and stuff, it was all pretty much related to uh, – doing things for the high school and playing for the high school team. And then he got on, as he got older, got into the, uh, you know, the Maples and did a pretty much good job when playing for the Maples. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that Randy mentioned the peewee hockey system. Uh, even I played in the peewee hockey system and that was the, the extent of my career. But, uh, most of these people that you'll be talking about today, along with Randy really, uh, we zoom it back to those days in uh, Pee Wee hockey. So I really didn't know him uh, overly much, but, uh, you know, I do understand in terms of uh, his career and things that he was extremely successful. He was a good hockey player and somebody that actually the community uh, was very impressed with. And uh, even as the lady years went on, he uh, did certain things in the community that was always uh, good contributions to Ainsbury and, uh, always willing to help anybody in the community whenever anybody asked for help. So he was uh, very much active in, in community events as well. Yeah. And, and, and for me, um, not knowing him, um, like I said, the research has been tremendous because you see a lot of him in the papers. Um, yeah. You know, hockey was, uh, was covered very well back then. And, um, and, and the research that, that we found on the, uh, the archives of the Amesbury Library has just been phenomenal. But uh, to see his name so many times and, and spoke highly about, about his talent was, it, it really, you know, it, it showed a lot of the character that you, you both have sp spoken about today and, uh, and what kind of player he was. So it is a sad day as an Amesbury resident and former, you know, in, the, in hockey his, history in this uh, city town, whatever you want to call it. Um, but obviously, um, I speak for everybody here, but the thoughts and condolences are to the Gleason family uh, today on the loss of Doug. Absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, moving on to somewhat uh, happier times. Um, let's uh, let's get into uh, picking your brain a little bit, Randy, because that's what we're here uh, to do and uh, and talk about the the history of the Maples and and, and your Amesbury High School hockey career, because. In that research that we've been doing, we found so many great things to talk about. I mean, I seriously could have could have uh, taken down a notes, a book's worth of notes with all this stuff. But uh, in my time crunch, I, I found some really interesting stuff that I do want to talk about. But 
the history in Amesbury and, and hockey is always so, so uh, inspiring to me to learn more about, but more or less, I just want to ask you like um, your, your family lineage. Does, does this go, does your family go back to Canada and the great migration down South to find work in, in some of these um, uh, shops that uh, made Amesbury so famous? Yeah, my uh, grandmother and grandfather, my, my dad's mom and dad on here, their side, they were Canadians all the way. They came down to Amesbury for a better life, better work. I mean, at that point in time, my recollection is that, you know, kind of jobs that you had in those days, you were a carriage maker, you were a painter, you made boats, uh, and maybe you worked in the factories. And uh, that's where those people came down uh, during the Depression ages when they had nothing. Um, tough living. And uh, my family is, is really kind of unique. My grandmother and grandfather lived about, and Frankie would attest to this, we owned the street, I think, on Thompson Street. My grandmother well, and grandfather lived about... Rent. You had the upper room. We okay. had the lower My grandmother and grandfather lived on uh, the corner of Thompson Street and Dennett, about six houses down from the house that my, my mom and dad ended up perching where me and my sister grew up. My uncle Everett, who was the uh, older brother to my father... He and his wife had two girls, cousins of mine, Linda and Christine. They lived on High Street, which is right straight up. We could walk through one yard to get to their house. The other brother, Wilbert, who got married and never had children, lived across the street from my grandmother and grandfather. And my uncle Orel uh, always lived at home with his mom and dad right there. So we were all within 100 yards of each other growing up. Um, but they came down, and, yeah, they were a hockey family. I mean, uh, there was a group of, of families that kind of began this whole thing. The Pickards were there. The Nichols were there. The Jutresses were there. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to miss some names, and if I do, I apologize. But there were a lot of them. And uh, all of the older brothers of my father, my father was the youngest. And uh, Wilbred kind of did a lot of coaching, was instrumental in some of the financing. Uh, Everett, Orell, and my dad all played. And my dad probably had the longest career. Uh, with the Maples, but they were all involved. And, and there was a group of Mickey Jutras and Eddie Nichols Sr., some of the ones you mentioned earlier. group of people got together, and because they all enjoyed the sport and were doing it recreationally, they formed a club, and it was the Amesbury Maples. They've moved many years over the years as they had to find, uh, uh, obviously there was no artificial ice rinks in those days, find rinks, areas where they could actually manufacture and put together a rink from uh, – God, I remember St. Jean's behind the St. Jean's. I remember up by the Ains Mosquito in the flats, uh, yeah. park. Um, boy, the, the pond down in the hollow, though, Frankie, what's that called when you come down the hill? Patton's Pond. Patton's Pond was a rink that they played on for years. Uh, so they moved them around. It wasn't always uh, easy to, to make ice, get ice. It took contributions from um, – the town of Amesbury being willing to, to flood rinks every night for them and scrape and clean. And, and uh, it, it was really something, but the, the, the thing that kept them together was they were all great hockey players. I mean, I remember in, in, in recollecting that when all those, when they started getting at the leagues, they played against leagues with a lot of teams from Boston. They played against the Boston city club. I think it calls, which is actually at one point was a kind of like an unauthorized farm team for the Bruins in those days before they had farm teams. Um, and in the, in the beginning, it was, it was really a core of Amesbury people, as I remember it, as, as it went on and it got larger and they, they got into leagues and they traveled. Um, 
they would they would people would want to come to Ainsbury to play for the Maples because they had such good talent there. Uh, a lot of names, Eddie Feimsters, and people that came from around Boston area. They would travel up to Ainsbury and, and joined up for two, three, four years and played with the Maples. And uh, at that time, they probably needed you know they needed to have to continue incorporating new players into the system to keep the the level of competition up and everything. But it started right there in the heart of Ainsbury with only Ainsbury people. But it, it grew on to bring in some others that stayed for a while and, and helped make it better. And then eventually the time that uh, when they got into doing a lot of tournaments and making trips up to um, trying to qualify for the championships of the Amateur Hockey League Association, trips up to Lake Placid to compete for that. And they were always the underdogs because most teams came in there with three, four lines, two, three goalies. And uh, some of those tournaments, these guys from Ainsby would go up there with nine players and uh, 10 players and one goalie. And and that was it. But they, they stuck it. They stuck with them. And most of their competition was either from the Boston area to get to these finals, or at the time, the Minnesota connection was there. There were a lot of great teams up in Minnesota and they always seemed to show up at the, uh, at the tournaments and the regionals and then the finals, wherever they may be. But it, it was, it was something, it was, it was a small family of people that all knew each other that started the whole thing and uh, the way they handled it, I think, and the success that they had and, and the fun, it was a hobby for them all. Obviously nobody got paid, you know, they did it because they loved it. They were together and it was camaraderie. So it grew and it grew fast. And as you say, a hundred years later, you know what? I mean, here, you know, here we are. Hundred years later, right? So that's amazing. I love it. It's, uh, and 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 a lot of credit to, you know, I played for the Maples for one year, I think one and a half years from the time that um, I got out of college and I actually moved away from Amesbury. Um, so it was a very very short lived. But I give a lot of credit for the those generations that kept this going. Um, there was probably two or three generations in there that. Uh, when kids get out of high school and, and, and they, they didn't go to college or there was no after hockey, they weren't hesitant to keep it together. I mean, people wanted to get involved in the organization of it and build it up and keep playing together because they enjoyed being with each other. So there's a couple generations in there that really kept this thing moving. Um, you know, uh, boy, if I start naming names, I'm sure I'll forget a lot of them. But, you know, right below me, there were the Jimmy Gleason's, there were the Roger Nato's the Gene Goodriches, the Kyle Verdranis. Uh, you know, there, there was probably only three or four hockey players in my high school class, my class besides myself, that actually played high school hockey. The most of them were juniors, sophomores, and some of those freshmen coming up. Um, why, I don't know, but that's just how it worked out. But, you know, and then, then it kind of dropped down. There, there was, you know, the, the George Dodias, the Andy Lucias, uh, a group in that range that kept it moving. Um, the next group came along, of course, spearheaded by Jack Morrill and Stevie Klein, a couple of great kids. I mean, Dennis Dowling, uh, the Fourniers, Ricky was a little older, but Larry and Glenn, and, you know, it just kept going. And, uh, you know, you, you'd read the paper and you'd hear the names and you'd know it was something about hockey just by the name. So really a lot of kudos to, to those segments of uh, Amesburyites that, enjoyed what they did and kept the thing moving along the way. Cause as you all know, there's a lot of things that die quick and they just kind of fade away. And uh, you look back a few years later and say, why, how do we let that happen? So they deserve a lot of the credit for that. Absolutely. Can I make uh, one comment here, Mark? I think one Absolutely. of the things that, uh, you know, you really should mention is 
is the work that your father did, okay? I mean, for example, all the work that he did in terms of fostering uh, hockey in Ainsbury with the Peewees. I played Peewee hockey for him, and, you know, people like him and, uh, you know, Hudons and Cluteas, if these people weren't around, I mean, they, this stuff probably wouldn't have gone as far as it did. And as you said, everybody was very much interested in playing. Uh, your father did a heck of a job. You forgot to mention one of the most important rinks that we played hockey on in the old days. You know where that rink was? Well, there were there was uh, two in in Amesbury. One was behind the. No, 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 no. It's not that okay. good. It was okay. on Thompson Street. Oh, in my backyard. In your backyard, absolutely. Because all of us young kids that used to play that were in that area around Thompson Street and Summer Street, High Street, Powell Street, you know. Everybody came to your house. We played hockey. We played hockey till the wee hours of the morning if they'd let us. But, of course, somebody had to call us in every night and we had to go in. But uh, I think it's very, very important in terms of the continuity that was retained. All right. Your dad and his friends did a tremendous job and got young people interested in the sport and did a heck of a job keeping us all together and pretty much keeping us off the streets. So that's yeah. something, too, that I think is very, very important that, uh, you know, you mentioned. Well, I have I still have pictures of that backyard rink on my first birthday. I had skates on, skating, uh, yeah. one year old. And I always remember as it got through the years, uh, you were right, we had a lot of pickup games there, that's for sure. Yeah. But every night my dad was out there stringing lights so he could play later into the evening as more kids wanted to come and flooding it every night. And I always remember the thing that stuck with my mind, my sister Tammy, and she's nine years younger than I am. But when I was on the end of the days at the backyard rink and she was putting her figure skates on and going out there, I remember keep looking at her and I knew she wanted to play hockey. <laughs> uh, but she just came out because no one would actually say, come on, Tammy, let's put some pads on and try it. You know, those were the days. But I could tell she she wishes she had that uniform on, too. She was but tough she, enough to play. <laughs> she was with it all the way. Um, she did a lot of things out of the house with my dad helping them with the peewees at the end and everything else. So, yeah, it's a, it's a generational thing, and it's, it's a lot of a lot went into it, a lot of good things. I mean, uh, uh, short of the days when we had trouble with the rinks, I remember we'd go up on Lake Gardner and practice. And, uh, boy, I remember those days when the wind was blowing. If you were going with it, you were 100 miles an hour, and if you were going against <laughs> going it, you know, stuff. it took you 20 minutes to skate from one net to the other. It was amazing. <laughs> No kidding. Amazing. Thank God, That's... Thank God we, we had some of those facilities. And without that, obviously, we wouldn't have been able to do it. And, and so it, it was great. It was really great. Uh, uh, Randy, talk, talk about uh, playing as a young member in Amesbury, um, whether it be the Pee Wees, if they were around and or or was it did you learn the game from uh, your father, Alphonse, and 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 maybe your uncles uh, living so close in a community like that, having the the backdoor rink uh, built and and your dad maintaining it. Development was always a big thing in this in this town. In my research, whether it be your father, whether it be Albie Roy, the Fournier's, and so on, uh, mm -hmm. it was always in my in in my readings that it was always good to give back to the next generation. So if you could just uh, elaborate a little bit about your young uh, youth career and, and then we'll move into like kind of like a timeline, if that's OK. Sure. Um, I think the first group that when my dad started uh, uh, the hockey youth hockey program in Amesbury, 
I think the first group of that was right close to the uh, Paul Desitel, uh, Bill Connell. Um, go ahead, thinking of the captain of that year. They, they were seniors when I was a freshman. And I think that was the first age group that really started off with the Peewees, that he was able to were old enough to get involved. And then every obviously every year, year after that, it just kept growing. So um, I started as soon as I could skate. I, I remember with the Peewees, you know, there were obviously age groups. You had Peewees, you had Midgets, you had Bantams and all that stuff to keep the teams classified within a, a time frame and an age limit you know, for competition. But uh, it started with that group. So, uh, yeah, in those days, it was just a lot of outside hockey. It was mostly dividing up the kids that came for the signups um, into four teams, six teams. In the beginning, there was only two teams. One might have been the Bruins, one might have been the Canadians, and they played each other all year. And it took a few years before we really started the hockey group outside of Amesbury to be able to get teams to come to play us. So in the beginning, it was more of an intramural youth league amongst Amesburyites only. And uh, it's probably good because it enabled a lot of the kids who, if it was only two travel teams, like say, like things do today, they wouldn't have been able to play. They wouldn't have had the opportunity. So everybody played. And uh, as it's been well documented, the, the ones that didn't have equipment would come down to my dad's house, our house, and you have a cellar full of stuff and they'd hand out skates and whatever he had so that these kids who wanted to play, but just couldn't, could actually do it. Um, I, have an, I have an anecdote for you. Okay. <laughs> One of my favorite memories was the first time playing peewee hockey for your dad. Most of us were poor kids. We weren't rich families. And what Randy just mentioned was very, very important to me because your father gave me my first pair of hockey gloves and they had a hole in the palm of them, but that didn't matter. I had a pair of hockey gloves, yeah. something I had never had before. When I, in our days, Mark, you know, if you had a, a stick, you hoped it lasted an entire season because you didn't want to break it because you couldn't afford a second one. If you had a pair of shin pads, you were lucky. If you had a pair of skates, obviously you needed. But we, when we played, and at least when Pee Wees, we never had any uniforms or anything because this was the – you know, the basic origins of the, of the, of the group. But uh, I still remember to this day, your dad gave me my first pair of hockey gloves and they were great, even though they had a hole in the palm of the hand because they were well used and well, uh, well thought of. So I appreciate that even to this day, Randy. i tell you really briefly, I mean, Tammy, my sister, who I said still lives in that house, it took her till two years ago to finally clean out the cellar. And for probably 50 years, it was like a sporting goods store down there, but wow. it was all hand-me-downs. It was all, hand so it was all uh, stockings over here, pants over here, gloves over here, gloves over here, um, shin pads. If you could, no more shin pads, he'd save magazines and uh, things to yeah. wrap around your legs so you could still have something yeah. to go out and play. I mean, that kind of stuff. And uh, then eventually it got to the point where he went out and bought a skating machine and he used to sharpen the kids' skates in the cellar. Because you could you could go down and have them done at one of the sporting goods stores. I think there was one sporting goods store in Amesbury, uh, but he'd do them for nothing for him. So he probably didn't make friends with the guy who owned the sporting goods store. But <laughs> kids had sharp skates when they needed them. But yeah, that's just the way it was. I mean, Amesbury was small town America. There weren't a lot of people who had a lot of money. I mean, most of the the dads of uh, all the friends that I had, and, and Frankie, you can attest to this. I mean, 
Dads work Monday through Friday in a factory or they had a little shop downtown like the Gleason's. Jimmy and Dougie's dad ran a barbershop and then a restaurant. And then when the restaurant got slow, they, they did something else. And it was just close knit. And, and there were Monday through Friday workers. Everybody was off on the weekends. Um, nobody had a lot of money. I mean, I, I know that my family didn't, but um, you did things that were family oriented. You did things that kids did things to stay together, stay out of trouble keep themselves busy. And obviously hockey was one of those things that moved that community for the kids and the adults through a lot of ages. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as hockey got bigger, I mean, we got to the point where we started growing. There were more and more people coming on to help my dad. I remember we started doing fundraisers with the old cans on the corners uh, downtown, shaking the cans, you know, trying to get money to pay some of the expenses. Uh, somehow if, if they never got enough money from the, from the cans, they always found the money from somewhere to keep it going. So, um, but um, at that point, then we were able to start uh, booking games with uh, people other than uh, our own teammates right there in Amesbury. So other teams would come in. There'd be weekend games scheduled. Team might come up for a weekend, might play a Saturday afternoon game, a Sunday afternoon game, and then they'd go back home. I remember us doing a little bit of traveling. It wasn't much. Uh, but it did give us the opportunity to experience different kind of competition and a little bit more of the team sport type of atmosphere. Uh, and obviously that continued to grow as, as the program got bigger and the more kids got involved. Um, they moved to the rink up in the, up in the park there. Um, it was probably had to be, I guess, maybe probably one of the best rinks that was ever available. There were dugouts. There were some stands at one point, there were lights you could play at night. The town actually took care of the flooding and the, and the, the cleaning of it and everything. So all of that just made it uh, more prosperous. It grew. It grew by numbers. It grew by uh, uh, members. Um, and it just kept going. And, uh, you know, all the way along. And I, I think that I think that if you ask my dad, I mean, his career was probably at long playing. It's the same as it was keeping that youth, youth hockey program going. And as good as he was and as much as he loved the sport, I think he'd tell you that he got no – the best of the satisfaction levels he got was out of running that program and seeing those kids stay with hockey. All the kids that started, 95% of them stayed with it, and they played in high school. In that first graduating class that he had with, as I mentioned, uh, uh, Dickie Reifke and, uh, you know, that old crew and, and Pete Scoverin and, and uh, the Richardsons and Paul Desitel. Uh, followed by Mark Taylor and the Tommy Coffins. That was his first couple of classes, and he, he was proud of those guys because they had some good teams. You know, they had some good teams. And then it just kept growing from there. So let's usher into uh, – we talked about your youth, and that was a great story. Thank you, Randy. Um, but let's talk about your high school career because it, it really kicked off with a, with a bang. Um, and, and you got really well-known in your first year – um, getting rookie of the year honors in 1965. Um, and, and there's a lot of great things that on my research, you were, uh, the first, uh, Hercule Ar Archie Cloutier Memorial Award trophy winner, which, um, I do want to talk about that because just on the research of, uh, of Archie and, um, and his career, uh, I'm sure that you, you've got to know him. You were around before he passed, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, he was what a kind of, older when I when I knew he was getting up there in age, but he was still playing. 
Yeah, it's amazing on on his career um, because it lasted. I think it was over thirty years, uh, and the last time I checked, uh, just amazing. Um, yeah, and, and talk about the younger years in in, in Amesbury High School and winning those. Uh, you know the, how you played and the and the competition and and obviously the uh, you know the you know winning those trophies. What it meant to you. Well, I, I think the, the high school years were, were very lean for us. Um, we played in what was called the Northeastern Conference, and we were up against teams like Swampskit, Marblehead, Lynn Classical, Bishop Fenwick, um, all the teams around suburb Boston. And, and I remember hearing stories uh, that uh, when, those, when those high school teams had their tryouts for the upcoming season, they probably had 150 kids trying out for their high school team. Well, when we had our tryouts. We probably had eight kids and we had to go beg six more to come out so we could have a team. And some of those six more hardly ever skated. <laughs> so it was rough. I mean, and we were in a tough conference. I mean, there was a lot of great hockey players that come out of that uh, that went on to play Division I uh, college hockey from that conference I mean, way back in the days before I was even playing high school there. So it was rough. I mean, there was not a lot of success. I think we might have had one year. We might have broke even. Uh, I don't think I, our teams that I were on, I don't think we might've had one break even and three losing records the whole time. A little demoralizing, get on a bus, drive to uh, Lynn arena for an hour to play your games. Cause you don't have a facility at home against teams that probably practice, you know, four or five hours a day, seven days a week. And we go to Exeter Academy and get like one and a half hour, three times a week. And obviously not the real talent levels or the, or the amount of people to pick from. So it, it was tough, but you know what? It was it was all the same kids that were together as teams when we were younger in the Pee Wee League. So we had a, we had a ball. I mean, we had we enjoyed the game. Um, I was lucky enough. I think I was the smallest one in my class in the eighth grade, and I remember um, them asking me to play for the JV team when I was in the eighth grade, which obviously you weren't supposed to do, uh, but I did. And uh, sometimes I was scared out there. <laughs> Some of those seniors on those teams were 6'3", 220, and I was probably 135 and 5'5", uh, five, five, um, at best. So it was a little scary, but I think when you play uh, in a level of competition above your own, it makes you a better hockey player. And from my sophomore year, I was able to play varsity with that original um, graduating uh, peewee team of, you know, when Desi and those guys were seniors. So most of the guys I played with were seniors. And, you know, I mean, ho hockey for me, when you asked about my dad and my uncles and who teaches you things in life and about sports, um, I, I, when Duke died, um, I saw him not long before he passed away because I went back to Amesbury a couple of times and went to one of his youth his meetings. We had luncheons and stuff. Um, the two people that really taught me a lot about hockey were Dupe and my dad. Obviously, my dad first, but Dupe second. Uh, they were the guys, they knew hockey. Um, you, you can't really teach something unless you know something about it, and those two people knew a lot about it. Um, but it, 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 most of that came from them, and I got to tell you, I think most of the ability that I was able to have came more from my genes and going, my dad taking me out there in the rink every day and teaching me how to put one skate over the other. I think I did a lot of those things naturally, but where I learned from those people was what they learned about how be, to be better at what you do. Because both of those hockey players, my dad and Duke, um, when they were younger, were good. But by the time they got to their peak, they were really good. 
Yep. I mean, my dad once had a, was supposed to have a tryout with a Boston Bruins farm club. Duke obviously was an All-American at Northeastern, and I think still think he still holds some scoring records there. So he's they started at a level of X, and they got to X, Y, Z to the top. Uh, they made themselves better. So I did learn things from them. They taught me stuff. Um, a lot of things that were very that were very helpful and, and made me a better hockey player. But the game, um, I don't want to say it was easy for me, but the game was always fun for me. It wasn't as competitive as it was fun. I can remember trying to go out and play in these peewee leagues and and with, with all my teammates and some were learning how to play. And I remember to this day getting more satisfaction out of taking the puck down, maybe moving a couple defensemen out of the way and then sliding it to my teammate so he can just, boom, hit the open net rather than scoring a goal yourself. And that to me was – that's why I'd go to the rink. I could, I could go there. I could have fun. I'd be with other people. I could help other people grow um, and, and make them feel good about becoming better hockey players as well. So that's kind of where I was early. It wasn't a successful high school. Uh, I, I got some trophies from Ainsbury High School for being a leader on that team. I think my last year, uh, I was um, all, all Eastern United States, All-American, um, unanimous choice for the when I was a senior. Um, but other than that, it was, uh, it was just, it was just playing to have fun. It was like enjoying the game, trying to bring some other people along and, and having fun, what you're doing. Um, never got to the point where it was, you watch some of these Super Bowls where the players are beating their heads over the, beating each other with all oh, the helmets about, you know, getting all psyched up with a game and, and, you know, turning into the wild animals to go out there and win and stuff. We just had fun. It was never like, that. I mean, we just had fun. And uh, that's the way I played the game. And that's where I got my enjoyment from. Um, fortunately, from from not having a, a, a great high school career, um, I was able to get some other um, really, really nice um, opportunities to play with different teams to do different things that, that turned out to be just great experiences. I mean, back in those days, they had what they called a junior Olympic team. You went to Europe for two years. You played in six different cities. 14 games in two weeks. And it was like an ambassador tour kind of associated and funded somewhat by the Olympic program back in those days. This is back in the seventies, 69s and seventies, actually in the late 69s. So I was fortunate enough to get picked to one of those, which was again, was an all-star team. I was fortunate enough to get picked on a team that we had to go to Boston to try out with. It went to Minnesota one year and we ended up second in the peewee division for national championship. Um, and then the next year I was picked to go on a uh, midget division team where he actually won the national championship for that division in Lake Placid. So there were things along the way that were, that were just unbelievable. And in every one of those tie this back in with what we're talking about with Amesbury and the Maples and the people, I would have never been able to go on one of those trips if the people of Amesbury hadn't got together and fundraised and funded those trips for me. People yeah. I did not even know were sending money, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. It didn't matter. I mean, I'd come home one day and there'd be stacks of envelopes on my, my kitchen table. My mom and dad say, come on, we're going to open these, get a pen and pencil. You're going to have to write a thank you note to every single one of them. And mm -hmm. uh, when I finally made the trips, I, they said, make sure wherever you go, you come back with 135 postcards because that's what you've got to have to send them every single one of these people. But they made it happen. You know, I mean, I may not have been able to go on those things if it wasn't for the generosity, uh, the love, the, the just 
the way the town banded together about hockey. If it wasn't me, it would have been the same for somebody else. And that was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. You know, so, and, and, you know, my high school career, I was happy with it. My dad coached part of one year. Duke was my coach for a couple of years. George Royal was a coach uh, for a couple of years while Duke was still playing for the Eastern Olympics and he couldn't give his uh, whole uh, time to head coach. And kind of interesting story one night, I think I was a sophomore and he was an assistant coach because he was still playing with the Eastern Olympics and they were touring, you know, the New England area. And uh, one time he said to me, he says, hey, we got a game tomorrow. We're really short. Do you think you can come out and play? I said, I can't play with you guys. I mean, you were all like out of high school. You're, uh, I mean, sorry, college graduates. You were an All-American. I said, I'm a sophomore. He goes, well, we're going to be short. He goes, oh, you just have to don't take your helmet off and don't let people see that, how young you are and get the opportunity to do that one time with him and playing with guys who are All-Americans. And I'm like, it was amazing. You know, I mean, I was nothing to them, but they needed a few bodies and, and, and I did. So it was, it was kind of crazy, but you know, that was my high school days. They were good days. I mean, you didn't have to win to be proud of playing and proud of the guys you were with and proud of the team that you played for. It was, that's just the way it was. So, you know, and, and from there I had uh, good luck to get up to Tilton Academy for one year as a prep school. Um, we won every game except one up there, and it was uh, – they had never had an undefeated season. And uh, we played on an outdoor pond up there. They didn't have a – in 1969, they didn't have an outside rink anywhere near. We played on a pond and traveled 40 minutes for our games. But the only game we lost was to Kimball Union University uh, Prep School, and I remember it. Toots Cahoon was a, out of Marblehead and a BU All-American, scored the only goal for them. And, uh, God, I, I was I was shocked. Um, I got a shoulder separation in the third period, and all I kept trying to do was I said, I got to get it together. We got to get a goal and tie this. We can't lose this undefeated season. But it never happened. But it was, it was a great experience going up there. Great experience. Just to add a little context to the, the viewers and listeners, um, that, that tour that you did in Europe was a 16-day European tour, um, and that you guys went six one and one against teams like Den, uh, Denmark, Germany, and Norway, and, um, and you guys were, I mean, pretty much 18, 19 years old. But those Europeans you were playing were in their early twenties. So the yeah, they were the, they were the club teams, like they had club teams, like they have in Europe. So it right. wasn't playing against high school kids. It was established teams that were part of a a, a, a league, and some of them were actually playing for money. Our players were all. Uh, when I did that, I think I was a, I was a senior in high school, when I did that. So and it was a basically made up of an all star team again of, about kids from the Boston area that they picked. And and uh, to add a little bit to the fundraiser, the last time I saw on the research that the uh, the town of Amesbury got together and raised over twelve hundred dollars to uh, for you to make that trip. Um, and I, it could be more, I'm not sure, but that's the number that I, um, and so, um, that was, that's an amazing story of, of just community coming together and helping one of their own out, but, you know, going, going, going through that experience, like that playing older players, it, it just brings me back to the whole development thing is, is you're not going to get better until you play better, better people. And I've always grown up on something like that. Um, but, it's all the, the development in this town about sport and what I'm reading about how everybody just came together and, and taught these younger kids that, you know, to play the game respectfully, play it the right way, 
Um, you never get down when you lose, you never get too high when you win. And, but it's all about perseverance. And I, and I just love that in my research. Yeah. I think we only lost a couple games on that trip, but it was also a neat little cultural thing for a 19 year old person. I mean, we were in, we played games in East Berlin. I remember them putting the, the mirrors under the bus when we drove through the East Berlin borders and we played a game in East Berlin and coming in and checking all the seats and looking under the buses and stuff. We stopped in London. You know, you see all the sites in London. We were in uh, Oslo, uh, Sweden. So it was something that a 19 year old took home. I mean, for a lot of kids who said, oh, yeah, I got to go to the World's Fair in New York. I mean, well, this was a heck of a lot bigger than that. Uh, right. So you took back a lot of memories outside of the hockey as well. But you're right. I mean, whether it was twelve hundred or twelve thousand, it was a lot of money in those days. Yep. And uh, it was raised out of the out of love from from the, from the Amesbury. And, and you know what? Too, even people from around Amesbury, they read the they read the newspaper clipping that probably didn't even have a clue who the Pickards were, but just wanted to help out. It was a great thing. It really was. Frank, you got something for you? I'm just sitting here reminiscing and. Uh... I'm good. Frankie, how come we never got Mark Goslin on that rink? Well, that's because Mark had his own little rink in the back of his uh, garage. Don't you oh, remember? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Pepe Parento built that for him. I so, don't remember uh, him. I don't remember him playing with the Pee Wee teams, though. Did no, he ever? I don't think he did. I don't he think he ever did. I know he was. He played. He was a great uh, baseball player and the captain of the team. And yeah, and uh, basketball. So were you. And yeah. So were yeah. you. Yeah, you were a real good baseball player. Ainsbury has had a lot of really good athletes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, some of the guys that you played with, I mean, uh, you know, like Paul Desitel, Mark Taylor, some of those guys, uh, you know, uh, really good athletes, great people. Uh, Mark interviewed uh, Todd McGrath there for one of his uh, previous uh, podcasts here, and uh, he had a lot of good things to say about the Maples, and the same thing in terms of the community of Ainsbury and what they did and, you know, how they helped us. Uh, you got to remember too, Mark, that in those days, you know, we didn't have all these computers and all this other stuff and we didn't sit in the house. We went outside and we played. Okay. It's like, I can basically speak about the peewees, but can't you remember Randy going over to Exeter Academy, freezing your little buns off and you wanted to get out there on the ice and play if not to, to win, at least to get warm, okay? Because it was so cold and you didn't have all the equipment and things that they have today. We never had helmets. You know, we were lucky, as I said earlier, to have a pair of shin pads and a hockey stick that lasted all year. But in terms of the people, the community, uh, another thing I think that's important with that is community-wise, you know, how did you get from Ainsbury to Exeter, New Hampshire? Parents, okay, people in the community. Uh, your dad's friends, you know, pickup trucks. Right. Used to carry, uh, we had a little, you know, we, we had the uh, traveling team. You know, we, we had to travel to play. And those were the games we had to go to Exeter because they had the right kind of ice and right, con right kind of conditions. So uh, a great, it's really a great community, Mark. And, uh, you know, they did an awful lot for us when we were kids. And uh, Randy's father and his friends did a tremendous job for us. Kept us off the streets and, for the most part, out of trouble. So it was fun. I didn't play high school hockey. Yeah, well, I didn't play high school hockey because I went to IC and Newburyport. Right. We didn't have too much going down there, but uh, great memories. Yeah, those Exeter days were something. That I remember the, the years that Duke was still playing for 
the Eastern Olympics and he was uh, assistant coach because we had such a limited amount of players on the team when we we're out there scrimmaging, he used to play de a defense for the third, for the third line. When the, when the second line went off and the third line come on, cause we didn't have 15 players. Yeah. So I'd be playing defense with the first line. Deep would be, Duke would be playing defense for the third line. And every time he'd get the puck, what would he do? He'd start shagging it down and come right after me. <laughs> and I'm like, here's a, here's a guy who was an all American coming down about a hundred miles an hour. And uh, I used to get the greatest amount of satisfaction when the time was when I could steer him around or wide or take it away from him. I mean, those were challenges of being out on in the freezing cold on that rink, but having a goal set that, you know, I got to stop this guy. I want to get better. I'm going to learn his moves and stuff. And you're playing against one of the best. And, and then when I'm going down on him, of course, he never played defense, but he was always trying to pin me up against the boards. He didn't want to have a sophomore in high school spin him around when he was playing defense. That's for sure. But there were, there were some good times. Good times. All right. Well, let's talk. Let's continue to talk about those good times of you playing. But you, you also went to college and um, you were offered uh, playing time with UNH, Boston University and Merrimack College, but also Northeastern. Now, I'm curious about the Northeastern um, offer. Did, uh, did Mr. Dupree have anything to do with that at all to, to at least have a conversation um, from the uh, from the team? Uh, you know, th this is uh, this is something that um, I'm not sure how I got on the track of Boston College. I can't explain it. I, I couldn't then. I can't today. But for some reason. Boston College was always a hockey university that I thought I wanted to go to. Didn't really consider any others, never thought about any others. And I can't tell you why. I mean, obviously, they had a lot of All-Americans. They had some great players. Um, they In those days, I mean, like, you know, Northeastern had a good hockey team, but BC was famous for everything. They had football. They had basketball. It was it was a Jesuit university, but it, it, it was it was a good school. Um, and coming out of those schools, you're getting a little better education and, and probably a head start on your on your business life or the future of your life. Because in those days, even when I went to college, I mean, I don't know that there were any. There might have been a few American-born players. Uh, Tim Sheehy, who was an All-American at BC when I was a freshman, and in those years, freshmen weren't allowed to play JV or varsity. He was from International Falls, Minnesota. He did make it shortly for the NFL, uh, NHL. Now, the guy that I played defense with in my freshman year, a guy by the name of Harvey Bennett out of Providence, Rhode Island, he did make it to the NHL. He played with the Minnesota North Stars. Um, how he made it was he was about 6'4", 240, and he kind of got the job as the, the, the tough guy um, as opposed to the, the goal scorer. But he hung on for a while. He played with the Flyers for a while. But that was – that didn't happen in those days. It just, there, there weren't, there weren't people at that level. Um, and they also at the time had a coach by the name of uh, Snooks Kelly, who had probably been there about 50 years. I think he retired with the, the Dean of American college hockey coaches with uh, more years coaching anybody else. And I always thought that was going to be a big plus. Um, uh, Duke took me into BC. He made the agree the arrangements, took me in to meet with the coaches and have an interview there. Um, he did talk to me about Northeastern, but I think he sensed how strongly I felt for whatever reason. As I said, I can't explain it. Um, and he never really sat me down and said, come on, come on, come on. You know, that's where I went. I don't know. 
but uh, he helped me through that uh, recruitment stage and everything and did everything I asked him and needed him to do. Um, would have liked to have seen me gone there, but it just, for some reason, it never got deep in my thought process. Awesome. College career, I don't know. I guess you probably have to say there's a lot of disappointment there, a lot of disappointment in where I think I could have and should have been given the natural talents that I was given and the ability. Um, hard to look back, you know, when you're going through it, it's you don't see everything you should see. Um, hard to look back and kind of analyze it. But I'll tell you one story that, that I tell young kids that, that I see playing any sport to, to keep forefront in their mind. Uh, I got out of Tilton High School in 69 in the best shape of my life. Because you go to prep school, you got to run three miles in the fall to the soccer uh, fields. you got to play soccer, run all day, and run back. Um, you got to play either hockey or basketball in the winter, and you got to play baseball in the spring. And you run three and a half miles to and from every one of those practice facilities. Um, I was in the best shape of my life. I was probably in the best hockey shape, uh, you name it. And, um, and when I agreed to accept the position at BC, and our hockey season ended probably in those days, March 1st, I didn't put on another pair of skates until – the first practice at Boston college. That's what about six or seven months. Mm -hmm. um, because I always played hockey to have fun. It was an enjoyment. It, it was fun. There was nothing to really play in Amesbury. There it was, there was no more ice to skate on. There were no more leagues to join. So I went on to play softball and the, the town league in Amesbury and work like everybody else and never thought too much about it. And, uh, you know, I'll be okay. And, and meanwhile, after I get to Boston College and show up, put my skates on for the first day, and I'm realizing that I'm a little behind. <laughs> I'm like, I'm way behind. And uh, some of these kids had been skating in three different leagues for the last six months just to keep their skills up and to stay in shape to try out for, for a hockey at Boston College. Scholarship kids even non-scholarship kids and some scholarship kids. Um, and that, 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 that was just me. Um, how do I describe it other than just that's what happened? Um, so I think it took me a while to get going. I think it took me some, uh, I think there was some disappointment on uh, the, a, a coach that thought I was going to be a lot more to his team than what I ended up being um, right from the get-go. Um, Got going a little bit in the in the freshman year, uh, sophomore year we had some 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 great players that were seniors that took up a lot of the playing time. Um, I did play. I was on the uh, penalty killing defense team and got a few shifts here and there. Um, and then by the third year, I think my interest had also started to wean a little bit from not enjoying it as much as I had as a game because I wasn't playing it as much and I wasn't playing as well as I should have, could have. I wasn't getting the satisfaction I should have. So hockey kind of kind of slipped from the most important thing in my life that I got the most enjoyment and satisfaction out of to something that had become a little frustrating and, and maybe I was separating myself from. Um, could I have done differently? Of course. Um, you can look back at a lot of things. If, if the coach who thought and told me that he thought I could be an All-American there when he recruited me, saw me where I was at the freshman year and pulled me aside and said, what the hell are you doing? You know what I mean? It, it might've made a difference. That never happened. 
maybe I wish it did. Um, my father was a great person and a great coach. I don't ever remember. I don't ever remember him telling me that I had a bad game. I don't think he would have told me that I wasn't playing to my potential. That makes sense. It certainly so, does. There was some encouragement along the way that I could have. I think could have um, broken that thought process or uh, level of uh, commitment. Um, didn't happen. I got a lot out of the game. I loved it. Um, I went on to find a job my last year in college in a restaurant, and that was my career for the rest of my life. So there was good news. You know, my life didn't fall apart. Um, but it, it, it was a it was a it was a great thing. I, I continued to play in a couple of teams when I moved on to uh, Cleveland, Ohio. I played in a team there um, for a couple of years. When we moved to California, I played in an adult league there where we did some traveling. I began to coach my son who up until he was 10 really didn't have a whole lot to do with hockey because we lived in Tampa, Florida before there was hockey in Tampa. And then we moved to California and then he did get involved and he turned out to be a hell of a little skater. So I did some coaching with him and uh, it, it was a great life. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade a second of it for anything, but um, still think it could have been better, but is it that important now? Not really. I've had a great life. That's awesome. What a great story. It's, it, it can be, it, it's, it's a disappointing segment to a, to a wonderful career. That's the way I put it. Yeah. I don't look back and wish and, and think about what could have, should have, um, what happens happens. Even after that disappointment along the way, I still had a great deal of enjoyment playing hockey with those other groups and in town leagues and stuff and coaching my son. So there was still a lot left to, to get enjoyment out of, but, but that's the story. But I, I try and use that to kids who some of these kids that are into, they want to be stars in three different sports. And my, my message to them is realistically, it's probably not going to happen. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy three sports and be good at them. But ultimately, whichever one you choose that, that you want to be your, your lifeline, be ready for it. Prepare yourself. There's a lot of people out there that are hungry to be good. And if you want to be the best, you're, you're more than likely going to have to be at least as hungry, if not hungrier than they are. Don't take it too lightly. Give it, give it what you have, and it'll take you there if you got it. Um, and you see a lot of kids like that as you see kids growing up. So, yeah, it, it was it was a lesson. That's a fantastic story, Frank. You got anything else? I can't talk that. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It is. All right. Well, I, I, I respect your honesty and your commitment, though, Randy, and the ability to to relate that story because. I'm sure it's something that's really important to your life. And as you said, things move on and you go places and you do things. And, hey, you're looking pretty good to me. So when I can so, look at you know, Frankie, it's also that when, you, when, you ha when you're given the ability, um, you, you still have to take advantage of that ability to be your best. Exactly. And that's the message I wanted people to hear. I mean, you can still have a good life whether you're, if you're not quite good enough to, to reach the top you can still enjoy your play and have a good life. Uh, but if you have it, you might as well give it a shot and, and you might as well do your best. And uh, going through that, I learned a lot. Uh, like I said, I've, I've had a great life. I mean, we haven't touched on this, but you know, I mean, all these years, I mean, I've been with my wife. I think we've been together 53 years. We'll be married 50 in next year. Um, Happy belated birthday, Charlene. <laughs> she's a, 
She was a, I was a senior in high school. She was a freshman. We've been together every, ever since. She was the first girl I ever dated. I was 17. She was 14. I think she had a few dates, though. I never <laughs> had any other than hers. But, um, you know, we've been together, and it's been, it's been, a, it's been a good life. I, the, I got my money's worth out of the hockey. With everything that I've seen, learned, heard, and, and be exposed to, uh, I got my money's worth out of it. There's no doubt about it. Unbelievable. Well, listen, we've had you for uh, about an hour now, and and I we really cannot thank you enough for your time today, Randy, and and the stories, the messages, um, and, and how you persevered through life and 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 you know some touching times. So, um, we won't take you uh, any further, but I, I just really want to thank you for your time, and I really appreciate this because this is something that is um is deep and dear to my heart to get the message out. And, and by doing it this way, by, by, you know, long distances and so on, we're creating content for future generations to, to look back on and do their own research about something that was so great in this town uh, in the early twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, and, you know, leading up to you know, the early nineties when it wasn't so more or less, it was like a beer league type of game, but still, it was it was an act of keeping the Maples team together and 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 trying its best to uh, to continue. So, yeah, a couple of couple of finding. I mean, we talked about Hercules Cloutier and stuff, but for some some of those guys to play into their forties and their fifties, and you see pictures of Her- Hercules Cloutier, how you get the name? Well, that's I guess people how get the name Hercules when you're about five five and one hundred and seventy pounds, and you wear <laughs> wire rim glasses, and uh, somebody could could. A wind could blow you over, but he was a tough nut. But for those guys and guys, like I remember seeing my dad at 40 something being up in the spare bedroom, putting his hockey uniform to go to a game and he'd have to have a, somebody help him pull up his knee pads or something. I mean, those guys were old, man, but they were out there doing it. I mean, Absolutely. you want to doing something like that through the pain and the aggravation, you did it for yourself. You did it for your teammates. You did it for the town uh, into their forties and fifties. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. The other thing, I, I hope I can show you this. I'm going to try and pick up my computer because this is just something that's dear to me. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Mark. I know you've gotten a lot of stuff from my sister in terms of clippings and stuff like that. This is something that I had done. Let me see if I can get it. Oh, wow. That is a, uh, where am I? There you go. No. no. Right there. Uh, there you go. That is a photograph wow. of my dad in the upper left with his Maples uniform on when he was about 20. To the right is my picture at Boston College. The one on the bottom right is my son when he played for the uh, Beach City Lightning out of uh, Los Angeles. We lived in California. He was on the traveling team there. And then the one on the bottom left is the three of us together the day that he skated around the rink when he was 80 years old when Tammy put that together. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it, it, it's a it's a Maples tradition. It's a family tradition. It's an Amesbury tradition. But it is yeah. uh, it's an amazing piece. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, I haven't. But I really appreciate you sharing that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's one of my proudest moments right there. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's that's going to do it for the Remember the uh, Maples uh, Hockey Podcast. This is uh, episode three, and this is dedicated to Doug Gleason, who uh, unfortunately passed away this morning. And uh, again, thoughts and, and prayers go out to the uh, Gleason family and uh, and so on. But 
Uh, Frank, thank you so much for the time. And, and, and Randy, thank you again for your time and stories. It's, it's, it was a great, great little sit down. I learned a lot today. And, um, and hopefully others do too about you and your career and your family, which is an unbelievable story in itself. But uh, please uh, subscribe to all our uh, all the content on on your uh, listening platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. And please also subscribe to the Remember the Maples official YouTube channel. We certainly appreciate that because we're going to do more of these. Me and Frank over, over here are going to be getting together and doing a lot of uh, interesting projects. And we're going to get some more people involved. So uh, I just want to thank everybody for the time watching this and obviously the time of everybody on the panel. And um, that's it. My, uh, my name is Mark Allred for Frank uh, Gerzak and Randy Picard. We'll talk to you next time.